Hey there listeners, it's me Greg Dalmage uh, coming at you with episode 211 and before we get into that I'm going to go into the little bit of news we got. To quote everybody's favorite rabbit godfather Peppy Hare, it's quiet. Too quiet. Anyways, uh, let's go into it. So first things first, uh, the PS3 and PS Vita PSP PlayStation stores are shutting down this summer, which, you know, that's a bummer for people who've been hanging on to those systems to revisit their old PS1 and PS2 classics. Hopefully Sony will get some form of it going on the PS5, but eh, for now, here's where we're at. But to honor that, uh, we ran a feature back in 2016 and it's been revived back on the new site now finally. It's the best games of the PlayStation Store, PS1 and PS2. So if you want to look at some great hits that you want to just get into the store now and buy, uh, this is the feature for you to check out some of the best RPGs that, that those stores have to offer. So jump on them now. Our next feature is another entry in the one-player missions from Wes Illiff. This is the Case for Warriors games and the RPG fan, where he examines uh, the Warriors or Musou uh, style game and that crossover that happens into uh, RPG world and why so many people not only love them, even though they're RPG adjacent, also why they make such a natural progression into RPGs. So yeah, go check out this feature if you at all like that genre. I mean, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of itching for it myself after having tried out P5 Strikers. So yeah, check it out. And over in the reviews department, we have only a few reviews, so let's cover each of those individually. The first review comes from John Tucker of a little action RPG called Shattered, Tale of the Forgotten King. This game's got such a cool sense of style, but it falls real flat when it comes to the gameplay and the story, so if you want to see what John really thought about it, go give this review a read. Our next review comes from that delightfully positive and happy webcomic Cyanide and Happiness. Bob Richardson reviewed Cyanide and Happiness Freak Apocalypse for us, and as you would expect I guess from a webcomic adaptation, it's a graphic adventure, and it looks and sounds and plays great, except the story just falls down the tubes and tanks the whole thing for Bob as far as the experience went. So give it a read. Maybe the story will land better for you. It might just not have been to Bob's tastes. So if there's something that you really want to get into, then I say check it out. But if that whole childish crass humor is not for you, probably a game to pass on. And our last review comes from Joe Chop of Brigandine The Legend of Runersia, or Runersia, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, that uh, was previously released on Switch and is now on PS4, and uh, Joe jumped into this awesome strategy RPG that unfortunately isn't so awesome. I mean, despite it looking like it should be super awesome, it kind of fell flat for Joe, so go read up and see why it's really not jiving on the PS4. And that is it. That's everything. Now we get to hop on over into episode 211 of Random Encounter. <laughs> Listeners, hello, welcome back to yet another episode of Random Encounter. As always, uh, for now, I am your host, Greg Delmage, here bringing you the latest, or whatever we just feel like talking about. I don't know, it's just, it's Random Encounter, what do you expect? Uh, we'd like to keep you on your toes. Uh, at any rate, as always, I am joined by my co-host, John O'Logan, over here on the mic. Hello, everyone. 
Hello, Jano. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. I put the deck furniture out yesterday. Oh, that's um, a good feeling. Still not, yeah, still not quite warm enough to like hang out there for a while, but you can go out, get a little bit of fresh air. Uh, did a little bit of writing out there yesterday and today, so that was really nice. Oh, very nice. We, uh, my, uh, my wife just rented a power washer last week because uh, we have one from our landlords, but I don't know what's going on with it. There's something in there blocking it. It's not getting power. Either way, it wasn't working, so we were like, screw it, and we rented one for a day that's much more powerful. So that was also super fun. And she completely pressure washed off the deck. So it's good for us to migrate out, out onto migrate out onto as soon as the weather starts turning around for us. And then we can start mm-hmm. COVID, uh, start hosting COVID friendly hangouts with friends. That's nice. It's my understanding that, uh, pressure washers tend to be a little bit temperamental. My dad had one and it broke after like one season. Oh, oof. Yep. And then he got another one and that broke after like two seasons. I, I don't know, maybe it's something with the, the sheer philosophy, fol, uh, velocity of water that's firing through those things. It's possible, or yeah, water sitting in it, something rusts out. I don't know. I, I'm going to try and pull it apart and see if just maybe something's in it clogging it or whatever. It's our landlords. They lent it to us one season and it's just never come back to grab it because I guess they don't need it in their downtown apartment. So <clears throat> either way, it's been handy. We've been using it to keep their house clean, so they can't complain. And then aside from that, we're gearing up to uh, buy... Wait, a, a whole bunch of dirt and uh, get our oh. garden and stuff going. I'm glad that you added that, because otherwise it'd just be weird if you were just buying a lot of dirt. We're we're trying to make a, just fill in like our own little landmass and just expand out, you know, make our house bigger of our own accord. Now, it's uh, it's going to be a very pricey investment, but it's, it's going to be worth it to have some quality uh, earth in our six planter boxes that we built last year. And then we're going to get some sod in there, have a nice little grass patch in the backyard as well as the front yard. So we just have that to lounge in in the back if we feel like it. And it's going to be, it's going to be a good scene. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Either way, uh, that was a fun little catch up, but we still have other people here. It's not just the two of us today. And we are joined by some familiar fellows from last episode, as well as Quentin O'Connor. Hello, lovely people. Caught you off guard, didn't I? You didn't think I was going to introduce you first, but I did. I was, I was shaken. <laughs> That's why it's random encounter. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and now I'm just realizing also how fitting that is with one topic today. Either way, uh, and like I said, we have returning to the podcast for uh, second times around for both of them. We have Brian McKenzie. Hey, hey, good to be back. It's good to have you back. And Nicholas Whaley. Hello. Thank you both for returning. Our, I'm glad we didn't scare you away from last episode. Our returning champions. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, folks, as always, we got RPGs that we've been playing. Uh, I'm still doing Brave of the Default 2, so I don't have a lot of new, exciting stuff to talk about, but we are going to touch on that. Jono, I know you don't have a whole lot new going on as well, but uh, these fellows have plenty to jaw about, uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to get started with Bravely Default 2, just to kind of dovetail from the last episode, and I have gotten as far as Wizwald now, so I'm getting a little further along. Uh, I've got to say, for... People who uh, may or may not have gotten there, I like that they committed to making Wizwald all Scottish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that Bravely has always sort of done, which is they are um, recognizable accents throughout the world in places that are very obviously not, you know, those accents. Yeah, and it's the it's the commitment to it because. Like in Dragon Quest, 
they very much commit uh, to regional dialects. They always have phonetically in the text, and that's cool. But I find there's a lot of games, once they get voiced, it's all just kind of all over the place. Like, you'll have, you could have, like, the token Scottish character, but nobody else from where they're from talks like them. So it's like, what? Uh, it mm-hmm. just was a cool affectation for that character. So I think, I thought it was great because I was, again, worried that Elvis was just the token Scottish character. And then I saw, like, the flashbacks, uh, or very early games, so this isn't spoiling anything, with his mentor, and she had a Scottish lilt as well. And I was like, okay, so does that mean, like, everybody? And once you got there, yeah, everybody in Wiswell is a Scottish. And, like, that's just a great detail. I love it, and I'm glad they put that in. And, uh, speaking as someone who's really been enjoying watching Outlander, Lately with the wife, it's been, uh, it's, it's nice to have more Scottish pouring into my ears and, uh, that they use a lot of proper, like, Scottish phrases and stuff too. Like, the localization is just so good and those little touches just make the world that much more interesting. So I'm hoping later on down the line we get to go to wherever Adele's from and everyone's got that. Even Savalon, like, they had a lot of a regional dialect there too. It's an accent. It's great. I agree. It's just one of those touches that makes localization even better. Absolutely. It, yeah, it brings the world that much more to life. Um, briefly before we get into some of the, the, the later points in the game, Brian was saying in the pre-show that, uh, based on last episode, we convinced you to get into it. How's that been for you, Brian? Yeah, you guys talked me into it. Um, I really like it. I like it better than the original, which I didn't stick with for particularly long. Um, right. But I think the, the characters grabbed me a lot quicker in this one, and I like the story better too. Uh, particularly Elvis. I think Elvis is my favorite so far. And I was almost disappointed when he came with his, with his black mage outfit instead of, uh, like a freelancer outfit like the rest. But then I realized I could just change him into a freelancer and I love his freelancer outfit. Yeah. He's pretty I really, swank. I, I agree with you. I really like that point though, that he, it, I felt it gave him like almost a, a bit of a past. Like he's had it for a while. So obviously he's been hunting for these things. So when you meet him, yeah, he'd be he'd be equipped with the uh, the black mage asterisk just to, because he'd be you know researching it, learning as best he could. I thought it, I thought it gave him a nice little bit of like existence before the game started. Yeah, I thought it was a good yeah. way to introduce the idea of asterisks to where they just show you a guy that has one and he joins your party and he's different than the rest of you. So that made sense to me too from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then got. Uh, hungry Adele along for the ride. But yeah, uh, it's been a really good experience so far. I just unlocked the Beastmaster, so I'm not too far oh, into it fun. yet, but I do like the Beastmaster class. It's fun running around catching monsters. But the, the best part it of is. the game so far to me has actually just been the boss fights. I feel like in a lot of RPGs, the boss fights end up kind of dull, where they're just kind of HP sponges that you don't have to change your strategy too, too much for. You really have to think in Bravely Default too, because if your if your teammates get low at all, you always have to be afraid of. Oh man, the boss is just gonna go into turn debt and hit me four times and wipe yeah. everyone. That's not something you have to if worry brave, about in done. other RPGs. Yeah, exactly. Like you're right. Yeah, and I, I mentioned about a bit last episode too that yeah, there's a lot more strategy in this game. I mean, the, the other two Bravely games had that as well. But it's just nice coming back to it and seeing them kind of still trying to shake up the traditional nostalgic RPG formula that the game is aping and trying to build upon. Uh, that you're right, it is like they're definitely still uh, damage sponges. That I won't lie about because I've I'm, I've been playing the game on casual just to get through it for uh, capture purposes, and even then 
even though I have enemies running away from me, still some of the fights are pretty tough to get through. I've, I've barely scraped by. I got through uh, the recent one, which I think was for the Archer Asterix, and uh, they did a big attack, and I had... Luckily, Seth set up as a freelancer and just happened to get that uh, stand ground and had left with 1%. And his alternate job was a completely mastered white mage, so at least was able to then bring everybody back. But, like, just scraped by for that one and then was able to finish it off. But it was uh, it was dicey. And, again, I'm on casual, and I, I thought I was more than enough of a level to get into it. But, uh, yeah, you really got to think it through. Yeah, that was my, uh, my first wake-up call was... I forget if it was the second or the third boss of the game where the fight was going really well. I was like, great, I'm going to finish this up in the next two turns. And he goes four turns in a row, knocks out three party members. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Fortunately, I was able to, to stabilize from there. But it just doesn't happen much in other RPGs. Mm-hmm. I think that's the smartest thing about the entire job, about the entire system is that uh enemies can brave and default as well like it only makes sense but in some games it would have been just your party this is just a party based mechanic but nope your uh your enemies can as well and if they feel like it they can really take you out in one move is that the same in um john is that the same in octopath since you've played it like and for anyone else here who has i haven't actually done a polling of who here has played octopath that's not me because uh, i have not uh, can the enemies break boost in that as well Holy crap, I actually don't... I can't I, remember. It's been such a long time since I played that game. I don't game. believe they can. Sometimes they just go gotcha. more than once in a rotation, but I don't think they ever um, do the spend BP on going multiple times like you can. Yeah, they kind of right, have their so, own... Yeah, yeah, this is a bravely thing. They, they kind of have their own version of that, I think. Um, like what was just being said, uh, sometimes they can kind of go twice in a row. Um they can catch you off it's guard. Move specific. Yeah, they yeah. can catch you off guard in some different ways, especially like the optional fights. But um, I think I think Bravely is pretty unique in that you have this setup, this really cool setup, and then you know the boss fights are like, hey, so do I. You're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would say the other, especially when you oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say I think the other difference between Bravely's system and Octopaths is in Octopath you can see the turn order, so it's never a surprise when the boss goes two or three times in a row, you can see in an advance. In Bravely, you can see how many uh, points they have stocked up, but you don't know when they're going to use them or when they're going to yeah, go into death. you keep dead. expecting it to happen. That's true. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, because you see that little exclamation warning come up, which I like that they you don't see their turn charge bar like you would in a traditional JRPG, but you get a heads up that, like, something's coming. What are they going to do? And, yeah, they could just be like, okay, we're going to go into turn debt, blow it all, and, and wreck ya. Or I've been saving up all my BP, and then they just do, like, a stat buff, and you're like, oh, okay. And you're just, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Later in the game, uh, no real spoilers, but you start fighting, uh, no, no characters, but you start fighting basically parties, uh, just like yours, so it's not just like random monsters. It's like Ew. some pretty strong, some pretty strong bosses that are in like groups of three or four. And at that point, they start to use uh, brave and defaulting a lot, like you do. Um, and it makes it extremely hard to get through some of the some of the very late game bosses because they can effectively wipe you out in a turn, especially if they have like buffs that give them brave points as a counter to whatever you do. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah, I hated that with uh, one particular fight recently that 
they kept they kept getting brave whenever I would default. I'm like, eh. It, it, it gets to extraordinarily ridiculous levels later <laughs> in the game. Um, and, I mean, I don't find it frustrating because at that level of the game, you're a, you know, your party are just beasts. You have half of them, probably, you would probably have half of the jobs uh, mastered at that point because uh, for both characters, presumably. Presumably, I don't know how you guys build your parties. I tend to go two magic users, two uh, fighters. Me too. I kind of um, have been. Yeah. So, I mean, the structure of my party was I made uh, – the structure of my party in the end was I made Seth my uh, my general my general physical damage dealer. Um, I made Adele my critical hit uh, specialist. I made – at first I had Elvis as my uh, – as my black mage uh, – as my black mage, and then I realized I wasn't really using a whole lot of magic, uh, at least not attack magic, and I switched him over to my uh, my buff guy. So he he was buffing everyone, and Gloria, uh, a, I I just tossed her on. I he was using her as a healer, and then I realized I don't want her as a healer. You know what I want her as? I want her as a monster. I, I want her as a tank. So I just I you I guess Greg, you wouldn't have this job yet uh the job of the the gentleman that's blocking the path in wiswald yeah i I, i've encountered him and i figure that's a job and yep i i can see how that would be tanky yeah uh yeah his he's the shield bearer job and it's just it's it's exactly what it sounds like he's you know you can equip two shields and just become a tank and block other things so gloria became my uh my tank and uh yeah, I that party was working pretty well for me throughout the entire game, and then I would just change things up if I fought against uh, an enemy that didn't really uh, that just plowed through those defenses with no difficulty. <laughs> As sometimes there's the odd ability that can, regardless of what's up. Uh, Quentin, mm-hmm. you also recently beat the game, and then you were kind of cycling back through. How's that been? Expo- uh, how's the experience been for you so far? Like diving back into it with the foreknowledge. Yeah, I love it. Um... That's one of the things, if I really enjoy, uh, especially an RPG, uh, but really any game, but mostly RPGs, you know, if I enjoy it enough the first time around, I, I tend to dive straight back into the water with it, which is terrible for my backlog, but um, I, I do it anyway. <laughs> uh, and with Bravely Default 2, it's it's richly rewarding, I think. Um, Does it have, like, a new game plus or anything? Yeah, it, does. it certainly does. And um, you also... It's, it's not only the features that you get to carry with you. Uh, don't want to spoil it too much because, at least in my book, like New Game Pluses are always super exciting to find out on your own. Yes. <laughs> but um, that, it's not just that, but it's just because the game is so intricate, especially with its boss fights. And like Jono was saying, um, later on when you're fighting true, you know, tracking true parties uh, of enemies, if you go back to that stuff with the foreknowledge and kind of like the flashbacks of your own um, of, oh, that didn't work. Oh, no, that didn't work. And then remembering what it was that finally, like, say, Monk Pressure Point saved my hide a few times, you know, going into it uh, with that knowledge and just kind of, I don't want to say tearing the boss fights to shreds because they're still, it's still Bravely Default 2, <laughs> but um, just mm-hmm. ripping it apart a lot better than you did the first time. I love it. And, um, 
you know, it's the JRPG staple. Uh, once you figure it out and you've, you've grinded it out a little bit, you become God, uh, all that jazz, and, and you have a blast with it. But um, So I'm taking my sweet time this time, and I'm getting sucked into the card game uh, more than anything. Um, mm. It's, it's uh, for those... Which I haven't dabbled with yet. Yeah, but. yeah for those of you um, who aren't familiar with it, the card game is called B and D. It doesn't stand for Bravely Default. It stands for uh, Bind and Divide, uh, because that's just you know a very cheeky thing that Bravely Default would do. Um, it's it's quite fun. Although I should note that I tend to get sucked into every card game and every RPG. So there's kind of an asterisk attached to. Oh, that's a terrible pun. I didn't mean that. Um, there's <laughs> there's there's an asterisk, no pun intended, attached to that because I, I'll encounter people all the time that are like, oh, I. I didn't like that RPG card game. I don't know what is it about them, but I just get sucked into them. I was a fiend with, like, Xenocard and, and Xenosaga Episode 1, um, all that stuff. I even like the card game in Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, you know? triple try it. I mean, the, to be fair, the card game in Final Fantasy VIII is the best part of Final Fantasy VIII. It, so. It's great. I'm, <laughs> I'm sucked into it in uh, FF14, too. Yeah, so whatever it is, whatever it's an RPG, odds are I'm going to end up at these, you know, these card game tables, the game within the game. Um but anyway, yeah, bind and divide. Uh, it's it's like bravely default core mechanics are are put into a blender with Gwent. I feel like uh, you're trying to control as much territory as possible. By the end of the game, the game goes pretty swiftly. There's I want to say six turns total between you and your opponent because there's six cards. Um, you've got monster cards, job class cards, character cards. Uh, you're running around and you know you're challenging NPCs throughout the game, a la Triple Triad, Tetra Master of the Works. Um, so maybe I'm not replaying Bravely Default, okay? Maybe I'm maybe I'm playing Bind and Divide for the first time, but uh, but that's okay. You know, I'm dividing my time between that and uh, FF14, and you know, wouldn't you know, I'm addicted to Triple Triad there. So it's funny old life. Yep. For those who haven't played it yet and just just want an idea of what it is, so you have a there's a, a five by five grid, and it's essentially a tile capturing game. So your job is to uh, put down cards, and each card shows, uh, I guess, a, a different arrangement of tiles that you can capture. So you might have, like, your main tile you can capture, and then you can capture one to your left as well. Um, and the point of the game is to just capture as much territory as possible. Uh, so when you place down your card, you can either capture uh, tiles in blue, or you can uh, erase your opponent's tiles. Uh, leaving it as an unclaimed tile. And the point is just to have as many, more than your enemy by the end of it. Um, there are like dozens of special effects that can come into play that reduce card effectiveness, that can enhance card effectiveness. Uh, it's really, it's the best kind of card game, which it's really, really simple to learn and it's really, really hard to master. They even say that in the dialogue. Elvis says that. Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah, I mean, the the game is clearly inspired by uh, some, well, I guess Final Fantasy VIII would be the most obvious, most popular card game in RPG Final Fantasy history. Um, it's it's similar, it's not the same. Um, but if you do like Triple Triad, chances are you're going to like uh, B&D. And there are some actually some decent little rewards uh, if you uh, are able to get to S rank and collect every single card in the game. There are. Oh, yeah, there are indeed. Well, then I uh, I need to get myself back to the gambling hall. Uh, one word of warning for you and, I guess, anyone who is still in the early parts of the game. When you unlock the game, you can't 
get past, I think it's you can't get past B rank, uh, until story events later on. But, uh, so don't, don't bother going around looking oh, okay, for, yeah, looking for like, yeah, banging your head against the wall. You're not going to be able to progress. Um, you're only going to be able to collect points at that point, but you're not going to be able to progress in rank until later. Good to know. Brian and I will make note. And I guess anyone else listening. Well, cool. I'm glad we uh, we made a convert out of you, Brian. <laughs> and we'll see if Nicholas revisits it. Uh, well, speaking of Nicholas, uh, you were promised last episode an opportunity to go ham on Yakuza 5. Uh, you've Have you wrapped it up now? Uh, so I finished the story. And, okay. Uh, I, I had originally intended to 100% it. Yes. Um, Promises were made and... And I encountered what I consider to be essentially a broken minigame. Um, so the pool in, in I guess, the remaster, I, something happened with the port uh, when it came over to PS4. Um, the, the, there's some sort of, like, sensitivity issue. Um, and the, the cue ball will just go wherever it wants. <laughs> So no matter where you aim, uh, like it's it's a mess. It's it's just a total mess. Um, and three of the uh, things you have to do to one hundred percent the game are beat, um, you know, the computer opponent at an advanced level. So you just end up uh, frustrated. I spent like eight hours. <laughs> just on pool and it's it's just so irritating to just poorly optimized yeah constantly messing up and then you watch the computer opponent and you know they just instantly aim instantly hit and pull off moves that are just unrealistic um so i just got to the point where i said well i i really enjoyed yakuza 5 and i really enjoyed this story and i wanted 100 percent it but uh I guess it's going to have to be Yakuza 6 Not because the pool is – it's its absolutely broken. That's That sucks. Like it should be yeah, – anyways. But no, did you run into that, Jono? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember having too much trouble with the pool minigame in Yakuza 5. I remember not enjoying it like I did – like a, I think that Yakuza 5, many of the minigames – like you remember back in, I don't know, the – the PlayStation era where like mini game compilations would be released or like there'd be entire games based on a single thing, like a poker game or something like that. That's Yakuza in a nutshell. It's just all of those mini games just shoved into one and they're all really well developed. I agree with you that the pool mini game doesn't really work fantastic. I don't remember it being a nightmare though. Interesting. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it's mileage may vary. Well, what did you play it on again? Uh, John, were you also on PS? Was a PS4, sorry, you said, Nicholas? Yeah, the the remaster collection that they did. Right. Did you do it yeah, on I PC was on, or oh, your PS4? No, I was on PS4 as well. I could boot it up tonight and check. Uh, some sort of issue with like the, the right stick sensitivity where when you draw back, um, if and honestly, I'm not sure why they designed it this way. Like, you know, the, the right stick should control the power of the shot, but if you are not straight on when you release, like... You know, when you when you kind of flick the controller, you know, it's going to go slightly in one direction or another. It's not going to be perfect back to neutral position. Um, mm-hmm. And it will just tilt the direction your cue ball goes in. And 
like, you know, it, it'll show the trajectory of where you're trying to aim. And sometimes it's so messed up that it won't even follow the trajectory. It'll miss the ball entirely. It's interesting because when I type in Yakuza 5 pool into Google, the most uh, common word to come up is the word f- this. Um, <laughs> sorry, you're going to have to use a chocobo theme there, uh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people, you are not alone in this one. That people do not enjoy the pool mini game in Yakuza Five. Oof. And then, uh, you know, Yakuza Six, there is no pool. So immediately, I was like, "Oh well, here we go." <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there's no pool, but there's also. I'm so sad that they've lost bowling. Yeah, bowling was fun. I love bowling. It's my it's my favorite. I guess, sport to do. And I was really good at it in Yakuza games. And then I got into later games and it's, they, they replaced the bowling alley with, uh, with a, uh, a gym and then a, a VR, a VR playroom. And I'm like, I just want to play. I just want to bowl and win a chicken. <laughs> I yeah, don't want to work I, out. I just want to bowl. I've done the gym some and it feels kind of pseudo pointless like i know you get experience for it but like it's not very much uh, oh you mean in six yeah uh the rewards tend to be uh items oh interesting i can't recall if uh, i've gotten any items from it yet i think so unless i am very much mistaken um yeah you can uh there are medicines available that you can get once you uh max it out i believe Okay. That will help you uh, level your guys up. And now, also, I think it's it's a pure product placement thing. Realistically speaking, as I understand it, it was an actual gym. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that Solosi would know off the top of his head, um, but I do not. That's fair. I will say, Dragon Engine is just such a, a beautiful upgrade, in my opinion. I love being yeah. able to just walk into a shop. And there's like no cutaway or anything. Uh, I like the way the encounters are handled more, um, and I like the way the uh, the uh, like the checklist, the challenges are, are handled. It, well, I guess there's still a lot of like kind of just boring. Like I, I sat for like an hour just drinking sodas out of a vending machine yesterday. <laughs> In game, I hope. No, no, in real life. <laughs> no, in the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Rise App is an actual Japanese gym, and all of their like publicity and shots and things like that are exactly what Kiryu does with he's like slumping it and then he like gets up and he's like listening. <laughs> so it was a full blown product placement. Yeah, That's I, I awesome. feel like as the series uh, gained more clout, they, they got more. And more just like real life products in the game. True, and there's certain like I mean I remember when uh, the Highball Tavern was replaced by a gelato in in three, and I was I was actually I was actually angry. I was like, how dare you? That was one of my favorite restaurants in Camarocho, and you have replaced it with a gelato a gelato place. Where am I supposed to get drunk now? Oh, there's still plenty places. Uh, Random side thought there. It sounded like what you almost misspoke and said gelatery, and I'm like, that's a lottery I can get behind, where you just get, like, <laughs> random ice cream. Yeah, I'm here for it. A gelatery. Yeah. 
Jalottery, I like it. <laughs> uh, one um, thing we were also promised to talk about was a specific section of the game which you were asking about uh, last time, John. Oh, baby. Yes, yes, please. Nicholas, tell us about Haruka's section of the game. Oh, like the uh, the the dance battles and everything? Yeah, we've mm-hmm. talked a bit about it, and it's one of John's favorite highlights from the game. Uh, <laughs> how is it for I you? Re- I really love it. I just love it. It's it's definitely a fascinating break from the like usual walk around the street and some dude picks a fight with you and you beat him up. Um, I, I think I mentioned it uh, last episode, but uh, it made me realize that I would certainly play a game where you just have unusual jobs. Like it can be built in the same engine and it's just like, okay, what's it like in the life of an accountant? What's it like in the life of a like a real estate agent? As long as it's presented in this this clever narrative. Uh, I think what really I I remember playing it, and I I was I was when I was playing through the series, I was very very careful to avoid all spoilers. Um, I didn't I just didn't want to know. I wanted to be taken by surprise, and the Yakuza series does that uh, regularly, and not just by Majima. Um, and uh, I was not expecting uh, to end up in a rhythm minigame, uh, let alone a full-blown idle simulator uh, where my favorite city in Yakuza is, has suddenly become a, an entertainment town uh, full of dance battles and uh, opportunities to get up on stage and sing and dance. Uh, it, it blew my mind when I was playing it. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, I loved going to the... Uh like the office, the dance studio, and just scrolling through the list like, hmm, let me go do a handshake meet and greet, and then I'll go do like a mini concert. Yeah, I mean, Haruka has always been actually uh, one of my favorite Yakuza characters. I've always been really disappointed that uh, she has never been a playable character on a more expansive, uh, in a more expansive way than Yakuza 5. Um, Also, I mean, Kazuma Kiryu is, is her father. Surely at some point he taught her how to kill a man with a bicycle. Um, I think I just stole that line from one of my reviews. Uh, but I guess it was because I, I, you know, I, I was a performer in my 20s and like growing up I would just be doing theater and that kind of stuff. It wasn't just that I connected to this section because it was awesome. It was also because I – the repetition of – over and over and over again, rehearsing a song and then having to go and do these little like, mini concerts where you perform the same song over and over and over again. I related to it, um, and I thought it was I thought it was very I thought it was funny. At, it started getting funny at some point. It was just that she's stuck in this Groundhog Day esque uh, scenario where she has to keep going to bookstores and singing so much more over and over and over again. Um, Oh, I just love it so much. And the three songs, her three songs are unbelievably catchy tunes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I get where you're coming from. Like for, I imagine like a comedian, you know, if they are famous for one particular bit, you know, they want to try new stuff, but everyone's just like, hey, do the do the line, say the funny thing. And like, I'm sure after a while, it's just utterly exhausting. Yeah, um... It is. Also, there is a uh, a very unique comedian minigame uh, when you are playing as Haruka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a absolute nightmare. I guess it's, I guess they made it easier in the, uh, in the remaster, but like in the original, 
it, it's a game of it's timing it's it's a you know the the secret of comedy is timing and unfortunately you don't know japanese for the most part so you're trying your timing is based on a language you don't know um which makes the mini game very difficult to chime in at the right times oh yeah they must have made it easier because now it's just it's like you have a limited amount of time to select the right thing like it's not really affected by what they're saying yeah, I uh, I didn't 100%. I, I don't really 100% Yakuza games. I mine it for as much story content as I possibly can. So I always complete all of the sub-stories. Um, I, always beat, uh, I always beat the uh, secret last bosses, but I don't tend to uh, uh, max out the mini-games. Though some of them I do, because some of them are really worth it. Yeah, and we've talked about this. It's it's worth it if A, you find the content fun, or if it serves the story, but otherwise there's been other games where you're just like, eh, I don't want to just be like, just ticking little boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, uh, Yakuza 6, that's, is that like, no, 7's like a dragon. Or 6. I'm confused. 7's like a dragon. Okay. Yakuza 6 is, uh, Yakuza 6 Song of Life. Gotcha. So, yeah, you got another... Another fun ride ahead of you, and I'm sure we'll have you back uh, to talk about that once you get through it as well. Um, yeah, you have six, and then you have... Have you played Judgment yet? I have not played Judgment yet. Earlier today, uh, rumors have abound uh, that a sequel to Judgment is now in development called Lost Judgment. See, that would make sense, because they're doing the... Uh, I, I I do not want to call it a remaster, because... Like they're they're updating it for PS5, but also apparently from what I heard, the, it is not a free upgrade. Like you're going to have to purchase it again. Um, but I mean, if they're going through the effort to to update it, you know, maybe it does make sense that a new one is coming our way. Judgment was a it was a cool game. Uh, I think I talked about it on the show. I imagine I would have. It was the Yakuza you game, have, basically. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, if anyone is out, if anyone out there likes crime dramas or Ace Attorney, that's a pr- and also you know the traditional Yakuza beat 'em up fighting system. I it's a it's a good game to play. Either way, there's there's lots of Yakuza and like it's one of our it still gets a lot of chatter on our YouTube channel. Your Yakuza review and people just being like, "I'm just getting into it for the first time." And it's like that's a slippery slope. Have fun, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's one of the, it's it's up there where I'm like okay enough people said good things I probably would like it if I tried it but I, it's a rabbit hole I'm not ready to go in considering backlog and other stuff I want to play and the life I need to lead so <laughs> I've yeah. I've largely avoided it for now but the River City the one... Ransom Lover in me seems like this is like the next logical progression huh yeah the uh, right now every single time uh, Caitlin or I talk about uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon Alana get it starts sweating because she has it and she's like I really want to start it but I know that I shouldn't um, speaking of that uh, Caitlin just reviewed the uh, the PlayStation 5 yeah. remastered version of uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon it's a great review um, spoiler alert the uh, Tojo clan is in crisis again so if uh, anyone is thinking nobody. about it re- yeah. Uh, so if anyone's thinking about uh, like a dragon, playing like a dragon, and they need one last push, I think Caitlin's review will do the trick. Because like Caitlin is, it is extremely articulate and well thought out, and she gives you lots of wonderful, 
uh, points why the game works, and she also goes into why it doesn't sometimes. Um, give it a read. I think you'll I think you'll uh, like it. Yeah. Both the review and the game. <laughs> yeah, I'll be uh, I'll definitely be pointing it out. I'm sure pre-show as well. Um, speaking back of card games and such, Quentin, you briefly touched on your uh, your addiction to the Final Fantasy XIV Triple Triad. I know we've got a Stormblood episode in the works uh, at some point with uh, Retro Encounter, possibly. Um, but yeah, you've been you started. Uh, when did you start up Final Fantasy XIV? Because you were saying you've just gotten through Stormblood. Oh, uh, let's see. When did I start? I want to say about a year ago now. Um, it was so it was definitely slow going for a while, but not slow going, uh, so to speak. <laughs> I got through a Realm Reborn and I got through the patches and I came to just like the cusp of Heaven's Ward and I could sense that it was going to be epic. I knew going into it that everyone told me Heaven's Ward rocks. I was starting to see the foundations there. So I did what I do sometimes, which is weird, and I, I put it aside for like four months at that point because I was like, oh, it's going to be like a, a great season of my favorite TV show, so let me go play a couple other things first. So that's why it's been as long as it has been. Um, jumped back in through Heaven's Ward, tore through the uh, post-launch uh, patch content, which is just fabulous. Um, got to Stormblood. I've heard from people in the past, maybe Stormblood, not the best. Okay, you know, I'm sort of expecting... Um, like a clear step downward. Um, I actually think it's, it's almost as good. I, I've loved the story. I love the setting. Um, I love, you know, just exploring new areas. And FF14 is just its own reward for me. And there's such a richness of, of new locations across. Uh, I don't want to get too technically spoilery with this on this particular podcast, just in case, but um between, like, we'll say multiple parts of the world uh, that you go to. And so now I'm going through, I'm almost done with the post-Stormblood patch content, which, again, really enjoying. Um, got sidetracked by Triple Triad, uh, predictably. I am, I they, they added something, I want to say it's fairly recent, where it's, um, like, every couple of hours at uh, the Gold Saucer, there are, like, these open, not like the tournament tournament, like the big tournament stuff, but, like, these... Sort of like you go into the card hall with up to seven other people. If seven other people aren't there, you get kind of filled out with some of the with some of the NPCs. And I just, for whatever reason, I've gotten so glued to it that like every time I log in, I'm like, I have to see. Is it time for one of those? Oh, it is. And I, I go through there. It's the rewards are fine, but it's just a, I love it. I love Triple Triad. I always love RPG card games. I don't know why. Sometimes they're not good. Sometimes they are. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm. Really excited to see Stormblood, uh, not Stormblood, to see uh, Shadowbringer soon because everyone who says Heaven's Ward is good seems to kind of end the sentence with "and Shadowbringers." Let me tell you. So um, yeah, it's been a, a relatively recent journey for me, Final Fantasy fourteen, and I just uh, shout out to anyone who happens to be listening who's among the like million and a half people who said you really need to play FF fourteen, Quentin. I know you don't do MMOs, but you need to do this anyway. Because, woo, I love it. Yep, that's what okay, we it's keep gonna be, It's going to be one of these episodes where Greg and I are just like, oh, no. <laughs> we need to We sub. have to play Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, no. <laughs> How many more copywriting projects can I take on to pay for my new addiction to Final Fantasy XIV? Rest in peace. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it's it helps, the time I, commitment. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I firmly believe that Final Fantasy XIV Triple Triad is the definitive version of Triple Triad. I think it's better than Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I love just, you know, there's such a thrill to me as, and I'm sure this applies to a lot of us um, and a lot of FF14 players of, of, I see, my big thing at the Gold Saucer, this ties right into that, I think, is I'm so close to a million GP because I want that Cloud Strife card. And what am I going to do with my life after I get the Cloud Strife card? I don't know. I don't care. I just really want it. I love Final Fantasy VII. Win Triple Triad. Yes. Win Triple Triad with the Cloud card, and then my life is complete. I mean, it's everything I need. Is the Cloud Strife card the equivalent of a Black Lotus? Hmm. That's a really good question. I... I don't know. I that's I've never thought about it. I've just been thinking about I mean, the Cloud Strife card itself. But... Yeah, no, I just I want the card. I don't. <laughs> I haven't given it any deep thought whatsoever. I just need it, Greg. I need it. <laughs> I need to collect the things. Uh, Brian, you've been playing Final Fantasy fourteen in the past or currently? Or yeah, yeah, I'm just got to the Heaven's Word patches. Um... And I'm looking forward to Stormblood, but I'm, I've been taking a little break because I got into it a couple months ago, and I was playing it so much that I was not playing anything else. And I was like, well, there's other games that I want to play, so that means I need to cut back on Final Fantasy XIV time. That's kind of my concern with it. But it is good. It's definitely worth playing, yeah. especially at least for the uh, the free trial. goes up to Heaven's Word now. Yeah, I've definitely, I've consistently heard, and Jono can uh, vouch for this as well, that it's like people consistently say that it's some of the best Final Fantasy writing, let alone game writing. Yeah, whenever Caitlin comes onto the podcast to talk about Final Fantasy XIV, I'm just like, oh no. And you see how much of the staff are playing it. This is going to be, I could be having fun right now in this giant fantasy world, uh, but nope, I'm got, I can't because I have games to review. <laughs> exactly. Once once we retire from RPG fan, <laughs> that's your our fl- twilight years. Yeah, that's your driving off into the sunset. Um, ah, so now what do we do? We play FF14 until we pass on from this wave of existence. But we could play Final Fantasy 18. But no, we want to go back to 14. See yep. what we missed. 14's where it's at. <laughs> Hey, I wonder when and if what the next uh, installment will be for the uh, the next MMO FF. I don't know. They seem to be very uh, they seem to be very dedicated to continuing the story of Final Fantasy fourteen. I don't think they're going to stop anytime soon. I think they might just keep upgrading it. Yeah, um, WoW has been working for WoW, so yeah, they've really struck gold with fourteen in terms of its fan base. I mean, I guess if they wanted to try to get new players in, they might want to try to you know, announce a new Final Fantasy, but I think they're pretty hard at work at 16 at the moment. So, and God knows when we'll get that. Yeah, but that is going to be a single-player experience, so. Yeah, exactly, this is... So, yeah, it might be there when we're in our 80s. Hooray! I mean, I'm not looking forward to the day when this happens, but eventually all MMOs come to an end. So, uh... <laughs> when the apocalypse yeah. happens, there won't be any servers anyways. <laughs> Oh, that's a cheery thought. <laughs> uh, we were joking about that the other day because Gwen was, now that she's growing up and coming onto the cusp of her teen years and such, uh, at age 10 going on 11 soon, she's in her tweens and it's good times. 
but she's starting to have concerns that she's going to change as a human. She's worried, like, she's like, well, what if I change and I'm not who I want to stay who I am because I'm, I like who I am and stuff. And we're like, well, that's kind of up to you. You're fine. And she's like, I have to, like, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up? And will that change me? This, that, whatever. And we're like, honestly, you're still so young. You've got so many options. Like, you'll be fine. And for all we know, you'll go to school or maybe you'll get a job or by the time you're done high school, you might be just fighting zombies for all we know. So <laughs> who knows what the world yeah, that's has to I, I thought you were going somewhere real dark with that and being like, uh, honey, you can be anything you want when you grow up if there's still a world. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't worry too bad about yeah. it. We're heading right to the apocalypse. Yeah, we try not to go that heavy, but it's there's definitely a fear there with, sometimes with that sort of, what are we leaving behind? But uh, just kind of keep doing our best. But before we go down that uh, dark spiral, uh, we'll, we'll shift it back over to, uh, to talk about Brian here. Because uh, a game that came out a while ago, I got to play it for Capture. Uh, Nathan Lee was our reviewer on it, was P5 Strikers. And Persona 5 Strikers is is quite rad. It's uh, I think Nathan hit the nail on the head in his review by saying, even though it's structured as a Musou game, it really doesn't feel like a traditional Musou game. Even though you've still got hordes of enemies, it's still uh, a really good mix, as I understand, of Persona. For me, this is my very first Persona game I've ever played. I've never played any of the vanilla Persona games in any entry whatsoever. Uh, so this was my first introduction to the world the, the style of the game, I guess, and the characters and everything, and boy, that game has style. And uh, I was pulled right in. I didn't feel like I was missing anything from Persona 5. Like, I was able to get up to speed with kind of the world and the expectations, and the gameplay's super cool. I have not beaten it, though. I've only just gotten out of the city and was heading on my first road trip. Brian, whereabouts are you at? Uh, we are at the exact same place. Okay, cool. But yeah, I did play Persona 5. That was maybe my favorite game of last year. Certainly top three was Persona 5 Royal. Um, but my expectations for Persona 5 Strikers were relatively low. Um, I've played a bunch of Musou games, and usually they don't keep me entertained for too much more than five or six hours. But I was... Very pleasantly surprised with Strikers. It really doesn't feel like a Musou game very much at all. No, it's like so, like just the way the skills, the work, and the breakdown of the the combat, the fact that you can use the world in some interesting ways uh, to like kind of do cool stealth hits and get the jump on the enemy. Like that's something. I mean, again, I haven't played a lot of Musou games, so I'm not as versed that those are options. But like you know, the couple demos I've done of like High Roll Warriors and stuff like that has given me a sense of it that. Usually you just kind of charge into battle and that's about it and you get cool moves. Yeah, and it's very different in this one because if you do that, you'll you'll lose, frankly. Uh, in yeah. most Musou games, I basically never get a game over on normal difficulty. I have had a couple in Strikers already. Yeah, it can be pretty punishing, especially if you pick the wrong enemy to take on. Like those, The parties can definitely overwhelm you and the, some of like the, the more smaller, mild enemy boss kind of things they're not bosses but they're also stronger than the regulars yeah they can really catch you off guard especially if they start like throwing status ailments and stuff at you i've i've had some close shaves and i definitely i think died a couple times too dry to grab capture yeah there's definitely it's definitely harder than most musou games on normal and i think they did a very good job of translating the mechanics of persona 5 to an action game 
where we still have That's our all-out cool. attacks and our one more system, but it's just in real time in an action game, and that's awesome. Yeah, it definitely had a bit of a learning curve with trying to like keep on top of those not quite quick time events, but just yeah, you have to really be aware of what's going on, and then also try like <laughs> it's definitely a game that benefits from you know get good and uh, get those really smooth transitions to get someone in who can uh, take out the specific enemy or. If someone's running a little weak, you bring them out so that way hopefully they can take less punishment because usually it seems they focus on the character you're controlling, of course. So, yeah, there's a lot of... uh, There's a big learning curve where I felt real bad at it at first and really clunky trying to play it, but familiarity definitely uh, made it a lot smoother in experience. Yeah, that, that was my experience too. And my only complaint with the combat so far is that I feel like the three characters you're not controlling are sometimes kind of dumb. I remember on the first boss fight True. when when she switches to the, the different form where she has the, the big rolling attack. Yes. I, I had figured out how to dodge that, but the AI had not. So I was very quickly the only one left alive, uh, even though I hadn't got hit by anything because they were just getting one shot by the attack they weren't dodging. Yeah, yeah, well, it was, that was a hefty one. But it's it's neat, and yeah, the story was engaging. Uh, so far that I've played of it, like uh, I've, I do want to go back to it at some point, actually, because again, there's games I get sometimes that I'm like, eh, whatever, I'm not invested. Like I, I might dabble in Atelier Ryza two again, but we just had that for capture, and I got to play it a bit, and I was like, this is cool and whatnot, but I don't really, no one's really grabbing me. This seems like a really convoluted big system, whatever. But Persona 5, yeah, I was like, I'm invested in this gameplay. The characters are actually really compelling. The voice acting is, like, top-notch. Um, and the story, they're, like, the way they interact with each other is just great. Like, they just got the vibe so right. And again, just... I heard everybody talking about how great Persona 5 was stylistically in terms of its menus and then the music and everything else in this game. Yeah, those menus are flashy as heck. Although sometimes I wish I just didn't need a whole cool animation sequence to get to a menu. I just want to save and exit the game. But it looks real good when it's doing it. <laughs> yeah, Persona 5 also had some of the best menus I've ever seen in a game. But I agree with you that the animations, well, very cool, can be a little much for just regular menu navigation. Yeah, sometimes you're you're like, oh, that's really cool and impressive. And other times you're like, just just let me go equip something. So I have a question, um, and this is, it's a little funny that I'm asking this just because uh, when, when Strikers was en route before it was out, um, I covered sort of a, a little press event that we had. So I had a little bit more insight than, than some. Uh, for a while, I had a little bit more insight. I, I did a preview uh, article, but I haven't actually played the game yet. And um, when I was doing the preview article, I remember like everything that I was thinking about while I was typing it, I was starting to get this feeling like, hey, maybe this isn't going to be like a traditional Musou game, you know, like everybody's talking about now. Um, maybe this is really going to be like a Persona 5, but an action game. But I didn't have enough context yet to know that definitively. And now it's out. And, you know, like you find folks were just talking about, that's really what it feels like is uh, action Persona 5. So... Speaking as someone who hasn't played it yet, I'm, I'm just curious about one aspect. Um, do you get to go, like, travel around, like, freeform, kind of walk around uh, parts of Tokyo, like in Persona 5, or do you, do you not get to do that? 
you do, at least in the beginning section. The, the beginning section of the game takes place in the exact same place Persona 5 did, and it has the same environments that you get to walk around, so it's going to feel very familiar uh, if you played Persona 5. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I am actually a fan of Musou games to a point. Um, I do kind of get tired of them a little bit faster than than folks who would say that they're definitely, you know, hardcore Musou fans. But I think this is exactly what Persona 5 needed uh, for a sequel to shake things up, but to still have those those fundamentals. I'm excited to play it when, when I do get around to it. It sounds great. Uh, Nicholas, have you done any Persona games? Or are you like me and a complete noob? Uh, I have done Persona 4 uh, and vanilla Persona 5. Uh, and some of like the original Persona on uh, PS1, uh, back when it was a little uh, little bit of a rougher around the edges kind of game. Um, <laughs> Does this appeal now, to you at all, though? Uh, well, I played... Uh, I know the Japanese PSN had a, uh, a demo for Strikers. And I'm actually a huge uh, Musou fan myself, so it was kind of like a, you know, bread and butter, like, sure thing. And I really enjoyed the demo, I just haven't had a chance to get around to playing it yet. It's definitely gotcha. on my list, but the backlog, like then, uh, yeah. backlog is uh, a beast right now. Oh, yes, that is a good, <laughs> bad problem to have for most digital gamers these days. All those sales, all the things you're like, maybe it won't go on sale again. But every single time, I'm like, Darkest Dungeon's on sale again, and it's okay. Anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's a super cool game. Like, I mean, uh, again, so a few questions from people even on our YouTube channel, back with the review of just, like, can you just jump into it? How is it? And, yeah, uh, like I said earlier, it's I didn't need any context, and I still got so much out of it and got invested immediately in this world. I was going to ask uh, Brian, character-wise, they're all pretty much the same. Not much, I guess, changes from P5 uh, to P5 Strikers. Like, everyone's more or less the same with their experiences, who they are. Because they have come back from... Some of them went to school and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so it is after... I think it was their first year of college, right? That they're coming back from. The characters are largely yeah. all the same. The only major difference, and this is just the nature of there not being a save carryover is most people playing, I imagine would be in a relationship with a character in the game. And oh, right. obviously that's gone because there's no save carryover, which was a little disappointing, but that's a minor thing. No, well, that's what happens when kids go off to college. <laughs> yeah. Just, they don't address it. That's the thing. But, uh, so who's your, your favorite character, I guess, to play as in strikers. Cause again, everyone has a slightly different play style. And, uh, and, and, you know, pluses and minuses for how they work out in combat. Yeah, I really like playing as Yusuke. I like his counter system and his combos are really flashy. So he's been my favorite to play as so far. Yeah, that is, he does have a neat, tricky play style. I, because I was trying to get through it quick, I'm like, I know this is one I would need to spend more time on. Whereas everybody else can pretty much straight up brawl. <laughs> and so I, I left him a bit to the side. Uh, but yeah, his his counter system's kind of neat. And, um, oh, uh, I'm blanking on it right now. The I keep wanting to call her Eva, because that's basically... Uh, she reminds me of Eva from uh, uh, Wally. <laughs> oh, the... Um, but the little AI. I can't think of her name Sophie. either. Sophie. She's the, the new one. Yeah, Sophie. Yeah, Sophie. <laughs> uh, 
she has a really interesting mechanic too that I thought was kind of neat. And I love that she fights with a yo-yo. Yeah, she was cool. Her mechanic's kind of tricky. I had a lot of trouble with that one, but it is cool. It is, and she can be really fragile if you don't get it. You get you can get mauled real quick with her. But I like it's again another one. I'm like, if I invest in this, it could be really neat. Yeah, and then this one isn't a playstyle thing so much as an animation thing. But I really love Morgana turning into the car and Makoto riding the motorcycle in combat. I think that's awesome. <laughs> it is very cool. I really like, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name, but she uses the axe. Haru. Haru. Haru, thank you, yeah. Cause, and also, she gets more uh, screen time in this game, too, as I understand what Nathan was saying. She yeah, really I was lot, really so. happy with that. Because I always felt like she was interesting but underdeveloped in Persona 5. And I was like, oh, great, she's just here at the beginning of the game. We're going to have her the whole time in this one. So I was yeah. pleased with that. Yeah, and it seems like both where you and I are at, she's going to be a bit more of a focal point in that part of the story, too, which is neat. So, But yeah, I like her because she's just like this dainty little thing that looks like she likes high tea and uh, crochets and stuff. Uh, but then she has this giant axe that's as big as her when she turns into her, not persona form, but like whatever their alternate forms are when they go into the digital world. And, uh, which this whole game gives me a whole Digimon vibe. Like, I'm just thinking of the Digimon series back when, when they would go into, like, the ultimate universe, and <laughs> it makes me think of that. Yeah, big axe and a grenade launcher. Yeah, it's, it's neat. Uh, and I played a lot as Joker, just because he's pretty OP, and he's just easy to, to grasp. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a super cool game. If anyone is thinking of it, if, anyone, if you're, like, a Persona fan, like, yeah, Nicholas, you'll if you like the devil, you'll definitely be digging on how it's filled out. It's just super cool. John, I don't think you've done a lot of Persona-ing, didn't you? I have done no Persona-ing, okay. although Persona 5 Royal is... No, Persona 5 Royal is on my uh, list of games that I really, really, really want to play, but I wouldn't try Strikers until I finish it. That's fair. Even though I understand that it's not... Technically, it's not a sequel to Royal, it's a sequel to just Persona 5, but... It's still, yeah, it's... yeah. I said my piece on it, but you'll probably have more coming into it from P5, so... Yeah, I do think playing Persona 5 first adds to the experience, but is not necessary if you don't want to. Well, that's cool. Well, today uh, we're going to round out our conversation with an oldie but a goodie, because uh, Brian was doing some cool stuff uh, with this game, but we'll talk about the, the vanilla experience because uh, so far, uh, myself and uh, Nicholas are very early into Fire Emblem Three Houses. We're both around, from the sounds of it, somewhat the same area. Um, but my first question for you, Nicholas, uh, which house did you choose? <laughs> uh, what's your first path, I guess? Uh, I believe it's Golden Deer. Oh, okay. I went Black Eagle. That's them, right? It's been a long time since I've played. Yep, that's it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I thought that was uh, them. Uh, yeah, I went Black Eagle, and I heard they have some interesting stuff. And you've got Golden Deer, so you have uh, Claude, who everybody loves. That's Claude, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, have you been have you been enjoying that? Uh, so far, it's it's great. Um, I'm pretty shocked. Well, I, maybe shocked isn't the right word, but I was pleasantly surprised at how quickly I became attached to the characters. Like, I'm not even very far into it. And when I picked that class, um, there were a couple people there. I'm like, oh, these, these seem like pretty interesting people. I'm a fan of uh, Raphael, which is the, like, 
huge dude with like the iron looking jaw. He's a cinnamon so, roll. Uh, He's such a cinnamon he roll. Is. Sorry, go on. Uh, like so far he's he's actually my best guy like i've made him into a uh, like a brawler and he just seems indestructible i know it's early on and i'm sure he's got plenty of weaknesses but uh i can just stack him up against guys on the field and they sometimes don't even do any damage and his speed makes it so i i just attack like two or even four times he's just a tank um but besides that, like, uh, very quickly, I was drawn into a lot of the other characters as well. And, uh, you know, just kind of directing, you know, who I want to do what and, like, what they're going to be studying. And I can kind of, like, envision their future um, makes me more attached to them and, and want to see them grow as characters. Yeah, I agree. Like, the the whole cast was just has been so far quite interesting to interact with and get to know better. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Dorothea stands out for me, uh, mostly because I appeal uh, as a singer, trained singer and stuff, too. I, I, I uh, commiserate with her as an opera singer, but then she's also uh, uh, she a healer or is she a magic user? Well, they're both magic, but I just can't remember if she's offense or defense. Yeah, by default, I believe she's offensive magic but you okay. can make her whatever you want so that's true yeah and i really like uh the head of uh black eagle which brian what's the or quentin the name is edelgard edelgard yes i really like her and i've only finally recently started being able to cross class her into stuff so i think i have her she's a myrmidon and she likes to wreck things but it's it's really neat and i love the tactical aspect of it i again this is my first like honest fire emblem game i've really like put time into like i played a few demos of the ones on the ds and such but i've never really gotten much into uh i was into them but i they just came at a time where i didn't have time money whatever to invest in the series and then never went back to it so being having this one now to really sink my teeth into has been neat and i've been wanting to go back for ages because i love my strategy rpgs and then it's got a cool class system and uh and then there's a lot of cats around town. That's pretty cool too. It's a it's a neat looking game, and I love exploring the little world. It's got like the strategy with relationship building and building friendships, and then trying to recruit people from other classes. It's it's got a lot going on. It's a very busy game, and I like that you've kind of got the hub that you can sort of upgrade and stuff too. And then I'm excited to see where it goes from there. But it's it's been a neat experience. And Quentin, you sound pretty familiar with it. Oh yeah. Um... I love it. It was uh, my personal game of the year uh, for 2019. Um, I, I I finished it, and you know, like I was saying earlier, um, if I really enjoy a game, I kind of jump right back into it. Uh, well, with Three Houses, I jumped back into it twice in a row. Um, so I had three routes done by the end of, I don't know, September, which was maybe two, <laughs> two months or so, three months or so after it came out. I don't remember. Um, and then I saved the last one. The only reason I saved the last one was uh, for once the expansion pass was done so I could do it as like a, you know, everything combines. Um, and I still feel the itch uh, to go back to it sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I love the lore. I love the setting. Um, many of the characters are great. You know, I said Raphael's a cinnamon roll, but um, so is Bernadetta. Love her to pieces. Um, oh, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I think uh, Nathan was a huge Bernadetta fan. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't want to start listing characters I like because we'll be here all night. Um, it's one of those games where it, it it's it's sort of Bioware-like in that um, sometimes characters will come across as, as, as wooden and two-dimensional at first, but then you kind of realize it was it was intentional. It was a writer's trick. Uh, you get to know them more. And um, honestly, I, I shed a few tears uh, at certain points in the game that I, I won't go into. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty emotionally satisfying. And, um, yeah, I, I, I know some people are a little, like, I can see why some people get tired of, of the monastery, like, day-to-day grind by the end of the game and all that. But um, I just love going around and, and checking up on everybody. Uh, something that I think you'll both have to look forward to is, uh, depending on, how do I say this without spoiling anything? Well, depending on the way the game goes um, later on, you'll have characters that might have said one thing uh, in one, you know, reality that did transpire for you. And then they, they have reason to say other things. And it's it's great. And, yeah, you can you can interact with the cats and the dogs. You can you can feed them. Um, you know, what more do you want? I would say the, right. the only thing about the game, and this is an extreme nitpick. I mean, this is just a ridiculous, ridiculous nitpick. But when I'm, whenever I'm thinking about Three Houses, the only thing that I remember as like, ugh, is um, the merchants. Uh, you'll, you start to get more and more merchants that'll, that'll show up to sell you stuff uh, down in like the bazaar area. And um, they'll just say the same. You, you might have noticed them spun out. They'll say like the same two lines. Um, every yeah. time you buy something, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't even something that that bothered me so much. It's that I was playing the game without headphones, um, uh, just for months, you know. And my my poor roommate, uh, the only one here out of the three of us who hasn't played it, she has to keep hearing, you know, she she'll hear the characters, the regular characters, and she'll be like, "Oh, I like him. I don't like him. I don't like her," you know. But with the with the shopkeepers, it's just. You've got a good eye. You've got a good eye. You've got a good eye. <laughs> like every time you pick up like everything every Just week. Just over it. Yeah. Oh, it drove her nuts. <laughs> but other than that, other than that, yeah, Three Houses, great game. Good to know. Uh, and Brian, you've, uh, I'm presuming, have already gone through the game completely. Yeah. Uh, Fire Emblem is uh, is my favorite game franchise, and I have a mild addiction to it. So I don't usually replay games at all. Fire Emblem games I play like 10 times. So yeah, I've played a lot of Three Houses. And then now you were saying you found a randomizer though. So how does that shake up the formula? And again, I know you're going to do your best to be sensitive to our... Yeah, yeah. Again, old enough game. We shouldn't happen to worry too much about spoilers because whatever, but still. So randomizing three houses is a little different than randomizing earlier games in the series. In earlier games, you can actually just go in and edit the save, uh, which creates some hysterical results. Like you can play Fire Emblem Sacred Stones and your lord can be some mid-game joining character as a skeleton. Um, (laughs) What? But three houses, you can't get anything quite that wild since you can't... Well, I guess you could go in and edit the save, but obviously it's a lot harder. Um... So I just used a website that gives you all of your units and all of their classes, um, which gives you some pretty funny outcomes. Uh, The funniest on my team, I think, are Brawler Ignots and Wyvern Lord Mercedes, which have been very interesting just trying to get them into those classes. Uh, Because you give Mercedes an axe, and she's no good with it, and she has a bane, so it takes forever to raise the skill. 
So you have to figure out some way to baby this unit until they can finally get on a wyvern. Um, but which is interesting because it makes for, it makes for interesting challenges because you don't have fully competent units, but I find it more fun than something like maddening mode, which I did one playthrough of and did not find particularly enjoyable. So I was happy to find a different way to, to add challenge to the game. And what does maddening mode do? Just makes the game real hard. Um, you get very limited XP. Enemy units will one-shot you in the early game. Um, so it's it's very slow and methodical to get through. Uh, and I played it once, and I don't really have an interest in doing another playthrough on it. So now I've been looking for different challenge runs to kind of spice up my Fire Emblem gameplay. I like it. I dig it. So, but it does make for some some interesting situations. Like, I did Golden Deer, and I got Claude, uh, I think it's called Dark Sorcerer, which you need a specific item for, and the earliest you can get it is Chapter 4, where it drops from a very difficult-to-kill enemy unless you have access to Lysithia. Uh, but I did not get Lysithia on my team, so I spent, like, 30 minutes to an hour planning how I'm going to beat this guy to get his drop in chapter four. And then of course I got a random crit that made that all very easy, but it was still fun <laughs> to do the planning. That's good. Well, the, so the randomizer, cause uh, I mean, a lot of these games uh, that I've heard of randomizers in the past are usually uh, older titles that get emulated and such like that and get rebuilt in that means. So how does that work on the switch? Like, are you, is, did you need to mod your switch, which obviously friends no, at home, no. we don't condone, um, or is it, you're saying it's a thing on the website. <laughs> so like, you, they just tell yeah, you like, do I this thing and then you have to go execute it or. Yeah. They just tell you what to do. They say, these are the classes your units need to end up in. And these are the units you're allowed to use. And you just police yourself. Um, but oh, okay. in older Fire Emblem games, you can definitely do more of what you've described, where you can actually go in and edit the game and yeah. get some pretty crazy outcomes, which is a little more fun, but I'm still enjoying the randomized run of Three Houses, too. Well, that's kind of neat. Is that, uh, Quentin, are you getting the bug now to go back? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that was so sad. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I got stuck on... Um, because I always like to think in terms of games like Fire Emblem, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. I do enjoy, um, even without like the randomizer, this is the first time I'm really hearing about it. It's cool. But even without that, I, I like to sometimes do files where I'll take characters and I'll give them job classes that just don't seem to fit their characterization at all. So when I heard um, Ignatz is a brawler, and especially like early on when he's just, his whole personality is just like, I'm not sure, you know, and then and then I'm just imagining him just run up to the enemy. Okay, I'll try, and then just clobbering their skull in. Like I, <laughs> it did, did something I succeed? to me. Like, <laughs> did I? Did I do it? You know, and he's just like standing over the corpse of like a, a, a dark sorcerer type or something like that. No, I love bleeding it. out, paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, or like Bernadetta um, as a brawler is just you know to bring her back into it. I'm just it's stuck in my head now, and I, I really need to go. Um, put the game cartridge in the Switch and, and do it <laughs> ASAP. Yeah, watching Ignatz beat people down with his bare hands has been a highly amusing experience. <laughs> uh, so thanks uh, for being here, Quentin. Okay, bye. Oh, there goes okay, Quentin. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yep. It was great. Uh, everybody <laughs> quiet. I'm, I'm watching the opening again. I love the opening. No, no, no. I'll, I'll do it later.
that's totally fair. Um, but yeah, that's, that sounds super neat. I like that. Uh, I've never tried any randomizer stuff. I mean, the most wild one I've heard of, I can't remember if John, if you told me about it, or it was one that Scott brought up our Twitch streamer, Scott. Uh, there was a cool legend of Zelda, uh, link to the past one that was mashed up with Metroid where we would go into dungeons or is either every doorway or every dungeon. Then you would have to go play through Metroid levels instead. And then you'd come back out and then it would be legend of Zelda or something. It sounded wild. That's all I know. Boy, that yeah, sounds really uh, fun. That's crazy. Yeah, there are, uh, there are tournaments online for it. Um, there are, yeah, it, it's, it's big. There's a lot of crossover too, with both the Metroid, uh, super Metroid uh, speedrunning community and the uh, Link to the Past speedrunning community, as well as the yeah. randomizing communities for both games. Um, it's it's great to watch. Um, that being said, not really my thing. That's fair. Um, yeah, SMZ. I think people are people call it on the. I just watched. I just oh, watched them on YouTube sometimes in the background while I'm doing some work, just because I find I find watching a nice randomizer to be a, a relaxing experience. <laughs> and hey, who doesn't have ADHD these days? Um. I was going to ask a question about uh, this whole idea, and, and maybe this will maybe make it more appealing to you, John, the idea of a randomizer as we wrap up today's conversation. My fun question was inspired by uh, Brian bringing up this Fire Emblem Three Houses randomizer is uh, for the panel here. What game, uh, what RPG would you like to experience a randomizer in? Uh, I'll go first just to give you all time to think, and plus I had already thought up my answer because it also kind of dovetailed from our Bravely Default talk. But I think any of the Bravelys, including Bravely Default 2, I think would be a wild fun time if the Asterixes were randomized. Every time you won the battle, you didn't necessarily get the, ra- the Asterix of the person you defeated. And I'm just curious how much that would skew the strategy of the game uh, moving forward if you had certain powers or didn't. Well, you don't need to worry about it because it exists. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, for both Bravely Default and for Bravely Second. I imagine, though, yeah, because so that would be, yeah, probably emulator territory. Yeah. Which, yeah, whereas it's not really a thing for this one. And one thing I would say about Bravely Default, which we, uh, too, which we touched on lightly, I do love how much easier it is to level up the classes. It seems like they wanted people to play around more with the jobs, so they made it... It seems it feels easier to level up the jobs in this game and to master them than it did in the past ones. Uh, for some reason, I don't know, it just felt like a speedier process. But then there's also just some neat benefits of being able... It's, it's also easier to mix and match some of like the passives and stuff in this one too, but there's also not as many of them. So it's... Uh, I like that. So I feel like it would be... It would just be really neat to do it that way. Um... I'll turn it over. Uh, which one of you wants to go first? Uh, well, um, I was kind of going through the Rolodex of RPGs in my brain, and I was trying to, to dig deep because I, I didn't want to pick something that you know is fresh in people's minds and, and we've been discussing. I feel called so out. So I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think what came to my mind was Suikoden 2. Ooh, that's I a think good that one. Would be a, I think that would be a really cool, like, you know, all the dialogue and everything is still in place, but just the characters that you pick up are just, are, are random. So, like, uh, you know, uh, Victor, you know, he's still there and he says his lines and everything, but the character is actually, uh, 
I don't know, I'm blanking on names. Pick one of 108. <laughs> uh, one of the stars. But just, yeah, just like a random, so, you know, you have no idea what party you're going to end up with. That sounds like that would make that game even more wild than it already is. Uh, Brian, you looked ready to chime in. What was your answer? Yeah, I would do... Pa- I bet there actually is one for this, but uh, Paper Mario a Thousand Year Door would be my pick, where you get the badges and companions in different orders. And I'd oh, be yeah. interested to see how the randomized developers come up with a way to do that without soft-locking the game, because that's always <laughs> an interesting challenge. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, how does it break things? And would it be uh, the same idea where the character is there for story reasons, but you don't actually have them in your party? Yeah, yeah, that's the way most of these randomizers do it, because I knew it would be an insane amount of work to... Man, imagine if you could just completely randomize a game and also change the story to match that randomization. That would be crazy. I mean, it would be obviously slightly easier if it just swapped out... um... Like the representative sprites, that's one yeah, thing that that's could be true. done in either scenario. It that. just they wouldn't have the quote unquote like right character, so to speak, but it would just make it a little bit less of a brain uh uh and effing up your brain. But uh still that'd be yeah, that would be fun. I was actually thinking about that too. I was like, I wonder if John is gonna drop RPG uh, Super Mario RPG again. It ran it, but it'd be interesting to see those games, yeah, randomize up who you get when and again how that changes the strategies. Which is yeah, that's what this all is about. It's just like yeah, how does it shake up your strategy, uh, Quentin? What's what's uh, what would you want to see randomized? Okay, I've got a quick joke one and then a real one. Uh, the joke one: <laughs> Has anyone else here ever played, just by chance, uh, the original Digimon World for PlayStation? I have not. Womp womp. Okay, long story short, (laughs) the translation is so terrible that I don't know what's happening, like, half the time. And this is a game that requires you to, you know, like like what Digimon usually do, figure out how to digivolve them, how to, you know, breed them and get them to get stronger. So I'm thinking, maybe, if that game was completely randomized, things might start to make sense. And I would actually (laughs) be able to beat the game. I don't know, you know, I mean, it's crazy, like, maybe just... (laughs) <laughs> randomize the text or something no uh but my I've real heard answer... every entry was pretty rough of those though so i'm not gonna uh, <laughs> uh, i don't distrust your opinion of it in any way shape or form <laughs> yeah um my real answer is final fantasy 6 in the sense that every time uh somebody like a given character uh let's say you know let's say edgar with tools or uh his brother with with blitz or Locke with you know Etc. Etc. Um, every time they reach a certain level that would give them a new ability, they get somebody else's ability at random. Just completely, <laughs> just just make it so that by the time you're at the end of the game, you don't even know what's going on anymore. Um, Sabin and somebody like, randomly is Gao. Yes, yes. Somebody just kind of like sometimes uh, Sabin gets to level twenty five, and and he just got like two or three random things from the Velt, like Gao, or um, Strago, <laughs> so Strago tries to learn like a blue magic thing. Uh, he ends up just stealing from an enemy. I don't know. You just go completely ridiculous with it. You make it so that the Espers teach completely random spells. That'd be some um, bananas. <laughs> everybody can equip everything until they can't. I, I would want to just take it to like the nth level, because I love Final Fantasy VI, and I need something new with it. I just see <laughs> you getting the Randomizers to, like... do exist. Say again? Randomizers do exist for Final Fantasy VI. I don't think quite to the uh, madness levels that you are uh, suggesting. Right? But like, they I just do feel exist. like you get to Kafka 
uh, in like the first like encounter, and Capcom would be like, you know what, this world's effed up enough as it is. Yeah, I you start you. off. Of, you start off in the world of ruin, and then you try to make sure everything makes sense. And Kafka even helps you because <laughs> he's like, "This is too much. This is just too much." Or just like completely switch out the characters, so it's like Realm turns out to be the insane mad person who destroys the world. Oh no! <laughs> Emperor Rachel just sleeping, never I, does anything. Finally, give Gogo <laughs> some story. He he's actually the uh, you know the the love child of an Esper and a human. <laughs> no, Gogo is uh, Gogo's the dog. Oh yeah. Oh, I like it. I Shadow really like just it. summons Gogo. <laughs> what is it that Shadow uh, says? I, I can't remember the exact line, but it's basically like, "Don't get too close." Uh, the Gogo eats the strangers. dog eats strangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be great. Uh, and then yeah, just just for the com- comedy of it, swap Umaro with Mog for all the dancing. <laughs> He's so beautiful and elegant. His hair swoops, <laughs> all of his fur in the wind and the breeze. Uh, Jono, what's round us out? What's what's your randomized offering? I'd love to see like a, a randomized version of Tetris where you don't know what blocks are coming down. Get out of here! Uh, let uh-huh. me finish. <laughs> I uh, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in the sense that it's it's randomizing the blocks because that's Tetris. I would genuinely like to see some random shapes. <laughs> That'd be the worst. Just every once in a while you get a triangle. What do I do with this? Uh, yeah, I, like that, I'm actual... serious. I would, I would like to see, like, just to see how hard... I mean, obviously you'd never be able to, like, get a completely flat plane going, but... I would like to see that where occasionally there are, like, really random shapes thrown in aside from the usual seven. <laughs> That'd be awful. Um, um, aside from that, uh, actually, I think, I think something I would like to see, but purely for comedy, and you can actually find a fair bit of this on YouTube, which is, I find it hysterically funny, uh, would be a Yakuza randomizer, but it randomizes the, it randomizes the characters. So the character models are all swapped just randomly throughout the entire game. So oh, I'm here for it. Voice. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, there is a there's a YouTube channel, uh, Iotri, I think is, I think it is, uh, and they just do it's just a, a channel that does character swaps, uh, and they focus a lot on Yakuza, and some of them are pure and utter magic, just comic gold, um, uh, especially if you like ship Majima and Kiryu, then it's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> That's great. But there, yeah, there are lots of videos. We were talking about the. Uh, we were talking about the uh, idle sections, so just just sections of the game, just sections where Haruka is replaced with uh, uh, various other characters during her appearances on uh, the show. It's it's pretty magical. I might I might send a link uh, to maybe toss in the show notes just yeah. to, as an example. We should also share that on our on uh, social. <laughs> yeah, some of it is it's very That's funny. Some good fodder. Uh, that's great, and uh, thank you everybody for sharing ridiculous ideas. Thank you, Nicholas and Quentin, for a bit more of a deeper dive, I guess, than our more fresh takes. But uh, there's a lot of fodder for some just some fun, ridiculous randomization that I just... It's fun to have like something a new take on it when you go back to it, right? Uh, I still yeah. want to try some of like, the Final Fantasy V ones and stuff, too, which I guess would be similar to Bravely with getting the random jobs and such. So, And uh, yeah, if I can try and... Uh, Maybe try one of the bravely default the the vanilla ones. That'd be super cool too. 
All right. Well, I think I'm going to round up the show, show now, fellows. Is there anything else before I start wrapping things up? Any other final thoughts anyone needs to get out in these last few moments? I want what Jono just said for Yakuza, except for Mass Effect. I want Rex's voice to come out of some character you never would have seen coming. I mean, like the reporter Jack. that Shepard runs into, or Jack. Oh. <laughs> you've got you got Morden's voice coming out of like Saren or or, or uh, Sovereign or something. I really need that. That's just my <laughs> final thought. <laughs> I can definitely throw that back in there. Well, I think that brings us to the end of an episode since uh, we've gone full random at the end here. And uh, let's, uh, I guess, tell people uh, what they've won for getting to the end of this episode. You win the opportunity to email Jono and I all your thoughts at podcast at RPGfan.com. Let us know how things are. Uh, let us know what you want to see in the episode. Just let us know anything at all. I'm just tired of junk mail, really. I want to hear from you. Also, speaking of hearing from you... segue. Speaking of hearing from you folks, uh, I want to give a shout out to Wolf Cipher, who uh, ever since we've made the transfer over to the new site, Wolf Cipher, you've been commenting on every episode with neat thoughts, and I try to check out the comments on the website. I'm not super good at it, and I'm sorry, but I did a little backlogging and finally was able to uh, get into it. And I appreciate you wanting to keep the discussion going, and I hope other folks uh, go check out the, the new site and the fact that you can leave comments and such. So if you have thoughts on the episode that you want to leave there, I'll keep trying to check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening to us. We, we, we appreciate knowing at least one person out there is listening. Uh, additionally, we have other podcasts you can listen to. We did tease the fact that Retro Encounter is a thing that exists, and you probably know that already, so why not? Uh, go listen to episodes of Retro Encounter, because there is a lot of Retro Encounter you can listen to. Uh, what was it? 260, I think, is what uh, Solisi said last episode. Do you remember, Jono? Or anybody else? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, they're, they're, good. they're getting up there. Yep. And uh, I'm kind of excited to see what uh, he'll have in store for episode 300, because that's pretty momentous. And we have Rhythm and Counterback. So if you like listening to that RPG music, which I've gone through, uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, JRPG nostalgia playlists lately on uh, YouTube while doing work. So that's been kind of fun to revisit. Uh, if you want to go listen to some sweet tunes, uh, and uh, I think we said last episode that there's going to be a Bravely episode coming up, so we're, we're keeping it Bravely this month. Uh, go give that a listen. And then we have Hat and Eric, our uh, fun partners who have the Phoenix Edge podcast that talks about more of the latest and greatest news and thoughts and stuff going on in the industry at large and uh, RPG stuff. So you've got all kinds of podcasts to listen to with all kinds of different facets and we highly recommend them all because we're all pretty cool people to listen to I'm not going to lie mm-hmm. the RPG fan network <laughs> but otherwise you know you've got this one this today's episode with uh, five white guys talking about video games that's just unheard of in podcasts right right Never now been done before <laughs> <laughs> this would be a cue for uh, a cricket noise from Mike Solosi <laughs> Well, with that joke falling flat, folks, I think we're at the end of our show. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for being on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For myself, Brian, Nicholas, Quentin, and my lovely co-host, Jono, take care. Bye.